Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, big money CJ. Good to see you after a Heritage Classic weekend, which uh, for those watching on YouTube, you can tell he went to the game because he is wearing a hat that can, uh, can barely fit on the screen. An homage to uh, one Ron McClain. This is so ridiculous. Look at this. <laughs> Why did he wear it that way? Why did he... <laughs> I don't know how he kept this with up so high. Like, I mean, I don't think Ron, I, was I don't think that, I don't yeah. think Ron has that big of a head, but like the way he was just holding it was just it was so weird. He definitely doesn't have a big head. So I don't know what I don't know what that was all about, man. But uh <laughs> I mean, it was cold out there. I got to say, like, I was lucky because I was in the press box, the, the the football press box, which is completely indoors. And uh, those on the broadcast were wearing many more layers than me and out in the cold. So maybe he had something else under there, heat in his head. I, I'm not sure what it was. I don't know if you have, like, head warmers or, or something like that. I, I don't know. I Look, he had a different tax bracket than me. Maybe he has some kind of way to to warm his head top. I don't know. How was the game for you, man? How, how did you enjoy it? It was honestly, it was awesome. Um, yeah, it was mostly Leafs fans being, even though it's a Sabres home game, being on the Canadian side of the border. Uh, you know, even the fact Leaf fans haven't had the ability to go to a game as much lately. Uh, so they, they probably, I, they might leave disappointed because of the results of the game. But like, I just, I look at it more from the atmosphere. You know, I probably walked into the stadium maybe three, four hours even before puck drop. Like there's full on tailgate going on. Great vibe, you know, just felt, honestly, I go back to this, I just felt a little bit like normal um, for a day, which was nice. And my, I, I will tip my hat, my now properly placed hat to those that uh, brave the elements for that long. Because as I say, I was pretty, I was cold walking 15 minutes from the car to the stadium. So I can't imagine what it was like being out there for six or seven hours like some people were. And, and, and knock on wood in our both of our necks of the woods, maybe this that might have been one of the more uh, final colder days of, of the of the of the year until spring comes, because we're about what uh, a week away, a week or two away from the first day of spring and also a week away from another day that we'll get to and that we'll definitely prepare for as well. The NHL trade deadline uh, also with uh, the game that you were at on Sunday. Uh, of course, the Leafs were losers in that one against the Sabres, but uh, one Austin Matthews decided to cross-check uh, Rasmus Dahlin in the neck, and uh, it's enough for him to uh, have a hearing scheduled uh, for today, this being a Monday. Very likely that we'll hear a decision on him, I guess, sometime after this podcast is done. Uh, also possible other things could happen, but we'll try to get on this as best as we can here. I'm just curious, what did you think of of the cross check on Rasmus Dahlin, which essentially kind of took over some of the other storylines in that game. Well, very out of character, you know, Austin Matthews, I believe the worst he's finished in his career of his five full NHL seasons before this one is eighth in, in, in Lady Bing voting uh, for most gentlemanly players. Someone who's, who's barely received penalty minutes, you know, frankly, given how many games he's played and certainly hasn't to my memory, come close to crossing the line. You know, I, I wonder if some of this, and it's not to excuse the action. Um, I mean, the action's obvious, right? He's he's engaged in a battle and the cross-check comes high. I'm willing to guess, given that long history, that was not intentional. But 
you are responsible for your stick in the sport. And so, you know, if, if you hit someone in the neck or head area with a cross check like that, there's going to be likely some, some punishment coming. Um, but you know, when, when we dig sort of a layer below that, you know, a stat's been kind of floating around in Toronto recently, you know, the NHL keeps a penalties drawn stat and, and Austin's only drawn eight penalties this season. Uh, despite the year he has, despite how much the puck is on his stick. And I just wonder if there's maybe a little frustration there from him because, you know, Darlene did in- initiate that play kind of for no reason, other than the fact, of course, defensemen are caught to protect their net. Um, but it wasn't like, like Matthews was digging in at the goalie or anything and he gets cross-checked into the, the post. And I think he just took matters into his own hands and it went too far. So this will be a, this will be a hotly debated one, I'm sure. And I, and I'm, Curious kind of where the conversation spins out of it. Uh, you know, once the Department of Player Safety makes a ruling on Matthews is, is, you know, is he being protected enough and not just him, maybe a lot of stars in the game. Um, you know, th- this came up a few times, of course, with Connor McDavid taking cross checks over the years and not always having penalties called, including in that series last year against Winnipeg. Uh, I don't believe there was a penalty called against uh, McDavid. And so, you know, I think, I think, this will quickly turn into sort of a larger discussion once we learn exactly what Matthew's fate is. Uh, Siege, any predictions on what that fate could be? I, I, it wasn't an in-person hearing as far as I know. So, No, it's a telephone hearing, games. so it, it has to be five games or less. Uh, by the way, things work in the collective bargaining agreement. You know, I, I really don't know. Uh, there's, there's a Gabriel Landis-Cog cross-check uh, from 2017 on Matthew Kachuk. I think it got him four-game suspension. You know, I, I kind of assumed someone who's, who's literally, like, as I say, he's got no history almost of tripping people in a game, which is a normal thing that happens, let alone crossing line to this area. You know, I do assume there'll be some leniency applied, but there's also a standard. And um, so, you know, anywhere, I guess, from two to four games, given the Landis Cog example, I guess will we'll be fair. Um, you know, it's a tough job that player safety does, but I, I do an even worse job guessing what they're going to do. Um, because, you know, a lot of plays aren't similar. There's, there's different dynamics at play. And then obviously, you know, one thing they're going to do on Monday as we're recording this is have a hearing where, you know, both sides pre- present evidence uh, in terms of what they were thinking or maybe something that had happened in the game. And, um, you know, maybe there's something in there that, that either drops it down or makes it go higher. And so, you know, I, it looks like to me it'll be a couple games. And, you know, that's, that's one more roadblock in Austin's pursuit of 60 goals because he's – well on pace for that now, but you know, if he misses more games, he already missed three games earlier this year after wrist surgery. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's not going to 79 was his previous, you know, the best he could get to, it's going to be 78, 77, 76. Now it's a little, little tougher even to score 60. Uh, before the, before the cross check even happened, but we said we were both in agreement that uh, Austin could hit 60 this year. Uh, Cause I said that I went on Twitter and I said that. Oh, I mean, it, it's still like I would still not bet against him. Like he's got 38 goals in his last 39 games, um, and he doesn't have a lot of cheapies in there. It's not like he's gotten incredibly lucky. So, you know, I I do think that 60 is on his radar. He would have scored 60 last year in a full season, and even potentially the year before that. I think he had 47 when the year was stopped. Probably it wouldn't have got to 60, but definitely would have got to 50 uh, the first pandemic season. So, um. Yeah, the um, it's a it's a tough tough go uh, though with with missing missing more games. Anyway, I would still say I still say he's going to find a way to get sixty. Like it'll be interesting to see how this plays out when he when he's able to get back. I mean, 
he's just kind of on another level right now. He's been very dialed in and, and, you know, I would expect if nothing else, this will just continue to push him to, to keep, keep, you know, shooting for those dreams. I mean, that's what all goal scorers got to do, right? Ovechkin only has one sixty goal season as great as he's been. I mean, Ovi's story is one of, he was the best goal scorer, but obviously longevity, but you know, he only got to 61. Steven Stamkos got to 60 once early in his career. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge number. And even as good as great as Austin Matthews has been, there's no guarantee he'll have a chance as good as this one in coming years. So, you know, I think he's going to push for it. Okay. Back to the cross check for a second, because I'm with you on the fact that I have a tough time trying to determine how many games that, that type of gesture warrants. Like I've seen people say, you know, Hey, that should be a couple of games. I've seen people suggest that that's that shouldn't be warranted. That shouldn't be worth any game suspension. Like I, I always joke that with player safety suspensions, there's like this giant wheel in their office, and a suspension happens, and they just spin it, and then wherever the wheel lands on, they say, "Okay, cool, it's three games. We're gonna get three games." Like it wouldn't surprise me if like Austin got like one game or like two games for this, right? And I know, and as you've mentioned, he doesn't have a, a prior history. Like it's, 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 it's tough. I have no clue. We just, we, all we really know is that he'll like, like he's not going to get around five games or anything like that. He could easily just get fined. Right. right. I mean, look, he could get five games. Um, I mean, he could, I guess. That's the maximum allowable. Like most people in their first suspension don't get that much. I mean, suspensions ramp up over time, uh, but you know, it's, it's also a dangerous play. Like I, I'm not trying to shield away from that. It's just, it's hard for me to guess. Honestly, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how they view that exactly. Um, how they weigh the, all those, it's sort of like you have multiple weighting systems here. It's like, so someone who like literally has no history of any problem, kind of a situation where you can understand him being upset and defending himself. And it's probably a mistake. So those are three things maybe that weigh an Austin side of it. But then the other side is it is that that's, a pretty forceful, you know, cross check to a dangerous area of an opponent's head. And that's, you know, puts that player in, in, at risk of injury. Now, the other part of it is Rasmus Stalin isn't injured, fortunately. So that, that would factor in too. And so I think it's going to be lighter than heavier, like one to two games, but you know, I'm perfectly willing to admit that I'm spinning the wheel here a little bit. And, and that, you know, there's, a, if it comes higher than that, that's, that's just how it is. But um, you know, it's, it, I don't, I don't like supplemental discipline guessing like it's so difficult to say where it's going to go. And, and obviously as those guys go through a process, you know, I can communicate with them to a certain degree, but they're not going to tell me exactly what's happening. Uh, and they have to have the hearing first. And as we're recording this on Monday morning, they haven't yet had that hearing with Austin. This, this speaks to two things here. One, the fact that you as experienced as you are covering the NHL, you have a hard time trying to figure out how discipline should be doled out to players in terms of suspensions and all that, like that speaks to a big problem with regards to how the department of player safety uh, assesses these suspensions. And that is a topic we should get into for another podcast because we could spend about an hour talking about that. The second thing, and it's something else that also irks me, uh, you kind of like mentioned it when you had said that, you know, they're not really going to clue you in on anything going on. The fact that, referees and the DOPS do not make it allowable for media to talk to them after the fact, ask questions, even from like a pool reporter is just asinine. And the fact that leagues like MLS have that as an option, but leagues like the NHL do not have that as an option is still a joke. I just want to put that out there. That's me just putting my, my own spin on things. I will say there are times in the playoffs where referees speak when there's, they they usually speak to a, a pool reporter arranged on site. 
that, that basically does the interview for the entire press corps and, and shares the results of that. And, you know, it, it does, it does happen. It just doesn't happen so often on Tuesday night in February on, you know, one play or something like that. Okay. So at the very least it happens in some fashion. Okay. Um, I want to know more, not just more, but uh, the game itself, it ended up being a loss for the Leafs and a couple of people, again, looking at the goaltending, looking at how the team is looking ahead of the deadline, which is next week. And we'll, we'll get to trading pile a little later on the episode. Uh, the one shot I keep thinking of, and, and I got to watch it on, on Sportsnet, just this shot of, of Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas in their box both kind of looking like characters in Peaky Blinders, but essentially just looking very unimpressed at what they're looking at here. One week ahead of the deadline for the the Toronto Maple Leafs, what would you say the pressure is like for them to make a move ahead of March 21st? Well, I mean, they have to be looking at goaltending now. I mean, it's, it's, they were already sort of gauging the market. You know, I didn't think that they were going to go necessarily make um, a, a trade for a goaltender, not, it's not guaranteed now, but look, this is at least four goals against in 10 out of 12 games. Um, you know, their team save percentage, they just keep slipping down and down and down. And they're, they're down now with teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. I think the Leafs are still quite comfortably in a playoff spot and, and, you know, have outscored their problems even during some of this stretch. They've won some, they won a 10, seven game during this stretch. Right. Um, so you know, there's, there's, uh, there, there's, there's a, I think that they've tried to leave it alone as long as they can. Now they have to see what's out there. And, and, you know, they have checked on Marc-Andre Fleury. You know, we've talked about that a little bit. It's not clear that Fleury would want to come to Toronto. I'm not sure anything's been put in front of him either, right? Like that's, you're kind of dancing in the gray zone here where obviously Marc-Andre Fleury and his agent, Alan Walsh, the agent provocateur on this very network mm-hmm. have heard, have heard the rumors are probably aware at least from an arm's length of some of these discussions, but I don't think it's anything like the Leafs have a trade on the table and Mark Henry Floyd just has to sign off on it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not sure that Toronto would be his number one destination. You know, I think the Leafs would be interested in someone like Braden Holtby potentially um, just given his lower cap hit $2 million, you know, what he's done over his career, but you know, the Dallas stars are actually Toronto's next opponent uh, on Tuesday night. Like, like why, why would they be trading Braden Holtby with the, the way that they've kind of strung some wins together and, and, you know, stayed in the playoff race where they are. And so he might not be an option. You know, you, you quickly get into the list of names and, and there's not a ton of obvious upgrades. Um, so, you know, I think that that's probably what the Leafs are, are working through right now. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a scenario now that they have a goaltender up named Eric Shelgren. He actually won the, the Swedish league title last year was signed by the Leafs as a free agent. He's been in the AHL. Hasn't, hasn't put up like knock your socks off AHL numbers by any stretch, but I think the Leafs are in a position where they probably have to think about starting him this week because things have gone so south with Mrazek. I mean, it's not just the number of goals too. It's the way he's let goals in. There was two really weak goals against Arizona that like in the first five minutes of the game this week. And then that third goal, it's two, two in the third period of the heritage classic. It's, it's the game's right there for a team like the Leafs to win. You know, they have more offensive skill than Buffalo. And then he lets one in basically from the corner. He just doesn't squeeze off his post uh, properly. So um, there's a, there's, there's a lot of pressure building up around the team and, you know, they don't have cap space. Kyle Dubas told reporters a week or so ago, we might only have the room to make one move, but 
you know, I can't help but wonder if there's a couple moves coming before next Monday. Uh, did you see this tweet from Jonas Siegel uh, with lowest save percentages since January 1st? There's like six goalies who have sub 900 save percentages and two of them are of the Leafs. So Jack Campbell and uh, Peter Mrazek. Mrazek, I think, has an 885 and Jack Campbell at 882. Jack Campbell, I believe, the second worst among those goalies listed uh, from Jonas Siegel. Jonathan Quick is there. Alex Nedeljkovic is there. Martin Jones is there. John Gillies is also there. Like, like the Montreal Canadiens who are in last place in the NHL right now have had better goaltending since the new year than the Toronto Maple Leafs have. That's 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 insane. Yeah, that's not what you'd expect. The amazing thing is, honestly, the Leafs have they've actually still won a fair number of games, but they've outscored some problems. Um, I just don't see how, in a season this big, it would be tough to just leave it status quo. Uh, you know, we don't really know a whole lot about Jack Campbell's injury, but, you know, the team said he's out at least two weeks with a rib injury. You know, that will be influencing the decisions, informing their decisions, because they've, they've obviously got more info on maybe what that might look like, um, the recovery and all that, that those types of things. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenging situation. And, and I really believe they've just been hoping, you know, like Peter Mrazek's had a long NHL career. I mean, this yeah. is – this is by far statistically his worst, you know, numbers. And, you know, I think that they're just betting, like give him enough starts. He'll find his way. This will pass. You know, Jack Campbell had a unreal first half of the season. He struggles for five games. You think, well, eventually he's going to get out of it. And then it goes to 10 games. And so this has just been sliding away from them. And, you know, in some ways it's, it feels like a worst case scenario uh, because everything went so well for half a season. And then it's just like, it's the bottoms falling out. Um, and that's why this, this is a fascinating week in Toronto, you know, because you know, I think we all understand what's on the line for the team this season, what the, what the stakes look like. I mean, even the fact that Austin Matthews has gotten better, has taken another step. You know, even Mitch Marner has had a tremendous season, been a little quieter these last couple of games, but, you know, he's, he's really picked it up. Like the fact that they're kind of trending everywhere else where you'd want to trend, um, but still having a very huge question mark in net, you know, man, I, I can't even imagine the, the feeling inside that that sort of lease management room with with just a week left to the deadline. Oh, I, I bet I can't even imagine what people are thinking at TSN Trade Center a week ahead of the deadline with what the Leafs could do and all these other teams, right? Like I, I know you, you talked about the intros you guys were preparing last week. So well, we're too busy getting the llamas ready and and you know. Oh, get- whoa, 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 whoa! We got llamas coming. No, I just oh. remember that once upon a time. I mean, look, they might. They haven't included me in their trade deadline plans too much, other than. I very much know what my role is on that day. It's not like there's a lot of talking to that needs to be happened, but any of the sideline stuff, I, I don't really know about what's going to happen, but you know, we're probably blowing up balloons already. We only got a week to, to, to make this thing into a carnival. Oh man. Can we just shout out the Buffalo Sabres one time because they dressed up as the Flint tropics going into yet going into the heritage classic. They get the win on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think that also comes a couple of days after they get the win over the Vegas Golden Knights, which I want to get to really quickly. But the Buffalo Sabres, a team that I think a lot of people thought they would be the absolute worst this year. They can say they got themselves some key wins at different points in this season. And that includes wins over a Golden Knights team with their former franchise player. And now the Leafs in an outdoor classic. Like, I mean, they're not going to make the playoffs by any stretch, but I just want to say, for Sabres fans, uh, they've been trying to punch above their weight class, and I think they deserve a little bit of a shadow. Well, 
I can tell you the mood around the Sabres is that there's a feeling that they think they've, they're like starting to take a step and like, you know, Alex talk's been really good since he, he got healthy after that trade for Jack Eichel, you know, Peyton Krebs scored a couple goals in the outdoor game. You know, they have Owen power coming and Jack Quinn. And, and, you know, I think that they're starting to feel like, Hey, maybe, maybe this is finally going to trend in, in a, at least a, a positive direction. I know there's been so many false starts over the years. I'm sure some of the hardcore fans are like, eh, I'll believe it when I see it. We've heard about prospects before. It hasn't often worked out well, but you know, I do think that there's, you sense a little bit of a mojo growing among that group. Uh, you know, credit Craig Anderson, no one saw him having still going at this age and, and he played well in the, in the heritage classic to get the win there. But, you know, I do think they have to address goaltending at some point, probably for next season, what they're going to do. But, you know, maybe this team is finally going to pull itself out of the mud. And, you know, I think that that would be long overdue because there's great fans down in there in Buffalo. They've, they've continued to support them through a long, long, long drought, a long walk around the desert without any water. And uh, they deserve something good to happen to them. In this case, since they're in Buffalo, maybe like it'd be closer to say they've walked around like the frozen tundra and there was no warmth in sight. Like the desert would at the desert analogy works better for the coyotes who are going through what they're going through. Maybe a little bit more cold in Western New York, but uh, in all, in all, but still, still, you make a good point. They've, they have walked around a desert for over a decade trying to be relevant. Um, I, I think that's as much as I want to get through through that uh, Heritage Classic game, unless you had uh, other opinions on the jerseys. I, I know a lot of people were really into the Aretnas concept with the with Toronto. I was like, this was okay. But the Sabres jersey, I thought was even better than that. But uh, Yeah, that, definitely. That, yeah. I, I didn't mind. I got to say, though, in the building, and I was pretty high where the press box is, it literally just looked like a T on a blue jersey. Yeah. And it, and it actually looked kind of cool. And someone told me that it was to do with a, some sort of trademark issue that what the Leafs wanted was they just wanted a tee on a blue jersey, a white tee. But for whatever reason, I don't know what trademark that might have violated or, or someone else had that. And so then they had the arenas in blue kind of around it. But you couldn't – definitely from distance, you couldn't even tell that arenas was was written there. So I, I look at it. That's unconfirmed. I, did, I didn't bother uh, <laughs> I didn't bother getting a second source on this. But, you know, I assume the person who told me that knew what they were talking about and uh, – you know, I didn't. I actually thought that jersey looked pretty clean too, from from distance. That's a look. The fact that you didn't get a second source on that, no one's going to hold it against you, Siege. Uh, I, I did mention the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, they seem to be going through a tough time. They're 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 clinging on to the second and final wild card spot in the Western Conference. Uh, I mentioned they lost to Buffalo earlier this week, and, and Jack Eichel said some comments about how uh, the crowd was loud in Buffalo. It took them how many years for them to get to that volume? It took for him to leave to get to that point. Uh, I know Adam kind of mentioned the Sabres, sorry, mentioned Jack Eichel and 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 that whole saga on, on the SDP, and that went into a full uproar. Uh, we're, we'll, we'll stay clear from that, but the, the Golden Knights are on a four-game losing streak. Uh, Chandler Stevenson, these are some comments he said after their most recent loss. I'm sick of it. Everybody is sick of it. Everybody needs to dig deeper. Grab their nuts and work. Grab their nuts and work. That's that's what he said. The last few days, a lot of people are trying to tell us to go work. Chandler Stevenson saying this, Kim Kardashian saying everyone needs to get up off the ass and work. A lot of people telling us to work. But uh, it looks as if the Vegas Golden Knights are definitely in need of that pep talk to go work. What do you think of the Vegas Golden Knights kind of falling further into the, into the bottom of the standings? And what can they do ahead of the deadline? 
Well, they don't have a whole lot to do in terms of cap room. And, and obviously a lot of it hinges on what's going on with Mark Stone. We you know we haven't heard a lot about Stone, but if, if he needs to be activated before the end of the regular season from long-term injured reserve, it, it would have to take players off the current roster just to make that happen. Um, for the, for, for the sake of debate, let's just say that he's not going to be back because, you know, I have no reason to believe he is before the end of the regular season. You know, Robin Leonard's been out injured. You know, th- this is a story of injuries, really. Th- this team was incredibly injured to start the year um, and, you know, found a way through it, gets Jack Eichel back. And now I think they have eight players out. You know, Max Pacioretty went out in the last week. Robin Leonard was sent home from this road trip. You know, I don't know that this is necessarily – a deadline day fix. I think that they're trying to survive, trying to get healthy, trying to squeak in and hope that they're okay when they get there, that, that enough of these players can return. Um, it, it feels a little like a star cross season for the Golden Knights to me. And by no stretch am I saying they're not going to still save something of it. Sometimes, sometimes that's how it goes. You know, teams don't always win the Stanley cup after having 130 points in a regular season. Like usually you got to go through some shit for lack of a better term. So they're going through some shit right now as, as evidenced by that quote from Chandler Stevenson. And, you know, it's not a case of, to me anyway, underperformance or I think that they're just, they're in triage mode and, you know, their lineup is, is not what their lineup could be, but the problem is there's no guarantee the lineup will ever get to be where it should be that, you know, there's no guarantee everyone will be healthy and they can play and, and, and do it. So they're definitely in it. You know, I, I wonder about the goaltender. You know, I've received no indication at this point that they're going to trade for one, but it would seem that they are one of the teams like Toronto that's that has high ambitions and might still be in the goalie market. But beyond that, I don't think there's a magic pill here. I think the magic pill is is health. And all you really can do for that, of course, is the treatment they're doing, but but have a little time pass. And so the, the group that's on the ice now has to find a way to get some wins to to get those players back and give them a chance to to save the season because it's it, they're leaking a ton of oil and I don't, again, I don't think there's, there's very much management can do just because they have a pretty precarious cap situation. Any general thoughts on, on how Jack Eichel's fit with uh, the golden Knights? I know he's had, he's had goals in back-to-back games. Yeah. You know, I think the thought is that he's been good um, given the layoff, right? I mean, he didn't play since last March yeah. until returning in February he Had almost a full year off, you know, pretty controversial surgery, you know, all things being equal. I don't think, anyone should assume that he's at his best, but, but it would be unfair for anyone to, to have hoped for that. You know, he's, he's been productive and finding his way. And so, you know, everything I've heard is that they're happy with him, that, that he's getting comfortable there, that, that the neck feels good, which is most important for his health and for his ability to, to continue his career. And this is just me speaking. I, I think really we have to give him another full off season after this year and, and see what he is next year before we're almost judging performance too closely, because you know, I do think with that length of layoff and the, the, the severity of his injury and, and even just the unique uh, aspect of the procedure he received to, to fix it, um, you know, this is all bonus time right now. And this is a chance for him to, to get his legs under him, but he's not back to probably being a truly dominant player like I think he, he can still be in the future. Okay. Before we get to trading pile, I have to mention one final tie to Buffalo. I didn't expect us to make as many connections to the Buffalo Sabres as much as we have so far, but we mentioned them in the Heritage Classic game. Uh, We mentioned them being the Vegas Golden Knights a couple of days ago. And one of their former players now in Philadelphia, Rasmus Ristolainen, signs a five-year extension for 5.1 
uh, AAV over the next five years. We actually, that story, I think, kind of broke just as we finished recording our last podcast. So we didn't get a chance to jump in on all of the, the talk around that extension. But uh, I'd like to know your thoughts on Rasmus being signed for the next five years and what the hell's going on in Philadelphia. Well, they see value in it, right? I mean, like I, I get that. Like I, I can only explain what they think. They, they, they think that's a good contract. And, you know, they approached his deadline. I think they were willing to listen to trade offers for him. If they couldn't sign him, they got him signed. And they, they're the bet is is that this is is going to be good value for the Flyers that not only that they have the player but that you know it's still a tradable contract um I don't have a good explanation though I mean that the Flyers are it's been a strange year you know I think that they view it as is a year where things haven't gone right for them like I, I don't think they see it as as much of a it's not that they're pushing it away but I don't think they see it as a crisis maybe as as the as those on the outside but at the same time, you know, Chuck Fletcher has said everything's got to be on the table. And so I think it's an interesting deadline for them. You know, they have a sort of few obvious trade candidates. Someone say like Justin Braun, uh, you know, on an expiring contract that, that I know teams have looked at, you know, manageable cap hit, all those things. But, you know, you wonder, do they consider doing something bigger? Travis Konechny's name has been out there a little bit. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't, I can't explain exactly what's happening there. Why, but I, but other than the fact that they they like the player enough that that five million was comfortable for them and and you know it's all about managing assets this time of year. I mean we're seeing it. We're going to see it in Anaheim and, and San Jose. I mean if you're not signing these guys, you're trying to trade them, and there can be a fine line between what you sign them for and what you might get back in a trade. And so you know that that's that was the the dance they were walking, and they they, they decided to sign them, and we'll see if they regret it or not. Let's see. And, and by the way, like when I say what the hell is going on in Philadelphia, I don't necessarily mean like, man, it's just that contract that just dumps your fire. Everything about that franchise this season has been a dumpster fire. Kind of as a, as a, as a segue into the trading pile here, but Cole Giroux obviously is the first name I'm going to mention. He said that this year is the worst year he's endured as a Philadelphia flyer. And he's planning on meeting with, uh, with management to discuss his future. It, it's, it's bad in Philadelphia right now. It is, but I think some of what you're seeing from Claude there is frustration. Like, like when he says it's the worst year, I think he feels that way because they've, they've had a ton of injuries too. I mean, like again, I'm not making excuses for them, but Sean Couture has been out long-term. You know, a lot of their good players missed time this season. You know, and it's not been much fun to lose this much. I mean, they, they, haven't, they haven't really been in the playoff race, if you know what I mean. Like, it's, there wasn't any mystery. Like, we've been talking about Claude Giroux being traded at the deadline for two months because – we knew for two months Philadelphia would be in a mode where they're going to be selling a little bit and trying to turn things over. And so, yeah, it's not been a good year. It's been emotional for Claude too. Like I, some guys make peace with the fact they're going to be traded when they're in his situation. I think it's, I think the emotional aspect of the fact he's going to play his thousandth game on, on Thursday night with that organization. He's been the only place he's known. He's been the captain. I think all things being equal, he wouldn't want to move on, but he's at that stage of his career where he doesn't know how many chances he'll have to, chase a cup again. Um, you know, I think that's all contributed to, to some of the frustration you're hearing. And, you know, I do expect once he plays that thousandth game that we're going to quickly transition to where he's, he's going to play next and, and how that's all going to unfold, because I think it'll happen quite quickly. It's kind of funny that we look at the trade deadline and a lot of people are saying, man, it's quiet. A lot of teams are having struggles with 
finding deals that could be made because everyone everyone's on LTIR. It seems as if the one, and I'm not even sure if it's right to say it's the one sure thing, but the one move that I think everyone expects to still go down is Claude Giroux being offloaded to another team. We've mentioned Colorado and, and Florida's possibilities. I mean, it's pretty much down to those two, unless there's some third team that I'm not thinking of that'll just swoop in for Claude. Am I right? Yeah. Some other teams think St. Louis is in there too. I don't know what degree, because that's not coming from the blues, but that's sort of other teams talking about the situation. You know, I, I, if I had to power rank them, I, I still think Colorado is a number one destination, number one fit for them. You know, we'll see what happens now. Gabriel Landeskog's, you know, gone in for surgery. What the timeline is for his return, it might even be something if, if he has to go on long-term injured reserve that makes it a little easier to absorb Giroux's salary. Um, because I think the Flyers are a little – the Flyers are a little concerned about the idea of a third team having to be in the middle to make the money work because if you're acquiring the – Claude Giroux and then you got to pay that team something for the retained salary like you're probably going to be inclined to pay a little bit less for Giroux himself and so you know I think the Flyers are if if they can control it hoping to do a sort of a one-for-one deal or or at least a direct deal with a team where you don't have to involve a third-party broker Um, you know Florida has interest but you know Giroux controls the process right Giroux has the no move clause and and you know I'm I'm not yet sure where he's going to want to go but it seems like some some version of Colorado or Florida with St. Louis being, you know, kind of in the shadows a little bit is, is, is likely what this scenario is. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see what Drew decides. It, man, it could shift the balance of power though a little bit uh, to add him. Like Colorado's already got a tremendously deep forward group uh, would be, would be fascinating if that's where he ends up. But, you know, you're right. We've been talking about this for a long time and, and, you know, I think it'll play out maybe even before Monday. Like I, I do think once he gets, that thousands game in the book with the flyers, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll start seeing what the options are and, and, and move them on. By the way, I should mention, uh, we will be doing a podcast next Sunday, uh, ahead of the NHL trade deadline and the Monday show will be moved to Tuesday. So that'll serve as a post-mortem. And, uh, not only will CJ tell us about uh, all the deals that happened, the deals that didn't happen, he'll tell us how he enjoyed his night after because, I know my dude is ready to lay it all out and just hang out after the deadline passes. Well, I am on a alcohol-free kick through the trade deadline. So I'm, I'm Pierre Lebrun and I have both embraced this. It's not to say we're going to go partying, but we're going to go have a nice glass of wine after the show. So I don't, I don't think it'll be so much of a hangover factor Tuesday, but it might be an exhaustion factor. I might be doing that show from the couch, like laying sideways. <laughs> we'll have it like we'll have it be like the psychiatrist couch, and I'll and I'll just like empty my brain about everything that happened in, in the last few days. Tell me, CJ. I'll tell me all of your problems and everything you uh, want to talk about uh, as we uh, go through the trade deadline. I've got my trusty notebook over here, uh, so you can uh, tell me everything you need to know. I'll save that impression for next Tuesday if we want to really go all in on that uh, on that uh, image. Anyway, uh, Jacob Chitrin, who got hurt over the weekend, uh, that's a defenseman who's been uh, in some trade talks over the last little while. But uh, yes, he did get hurt over the weekend. What's the latest on him? He's having an MRI Monday in Arizona and, you know, they have to determine the severity of the injury. There's, there's cautious optimism. It's not too serious, but, but obviously they won't know for sure until they get the, the medical picture and get an idea of what they're dealing with. And, and I would say that if, if it is serious, um, you know, very, very, very unlikely 
that, that he's moved by, by next Monday's deadline. Um, you know, so they, they kind of have to wait and see uh, what goes on there, but you know, that, that would be, I guess a little bit of a blow for the coyotes. You know, I think they, they want to be pretty active or as active as they can be at this deadline, you know, still very much open for business to take on other teams contracts, which might help, you know, spur some trade activity elsewhere in the league. And, you know, Chikrin was a, a pretty big name out there that was still drawing interest. So, you know, that, that, this, this is like James Duthie's worst nightmare is, is all, all, all the sort of compelling pieces, you know, potentially being taken off the board. But, you know, as I say, that there is hope that, that, you know, even though Jacob had to delete, took a couple hits in that, that game against Boston on Saturday night, that, um, that he is going to, that it's, it's more precautionary than anything, but we'll probably know either late Monday or Tuesday what the, the results of that MRI were and, and how that impacts his availability or not. By the way, send my regards to Duffy next time you see him. Tell him I'm thinking of him. Uh, Hampus Lindholm in Anaheim. Uh, what's the latest with him? Every day that he's not signed, he's closer to being traded. And, you know, it sounds like it's maybe been a week or so since, since contract talks move forward in any direction in terms of new offers. You know, to, to this point, you know, it's my belief that Ducks have been, been you know, trying to keep the, the term on this deal down. And, you know, if you're in Hampus Lindholm's situation, I think term, term is almost as important as AAV because, you know, you're looking for security. You're looking to um, be, be locked in for the foreseeable future. So, you know, they, they've been at a bit of a crossroads or, a, you know, not seeing eye to eye on the length of the deal. I think the Ducks have kept it to somewhere around five years and Lindholm would like north of that. And if, if they don't bridge that gap or if one side or the other doesn't make some movement, um, you know, I, I do think he'll probably end up being the most attractive rental piece traded uh, because, you know, I think that John Klingberg's going to stay put where he is. And, you know, Lindholm you know, is a top pairing defenseman, you know, plays 20 plus minutes a night. And so, you know, we're not, I'm not at the stage where I say hundred percent, he's going to be dealt, but the longer it goes without that extension, I do think the odds are going up that, that he's going to be in play uh, at the deadline. Let's get uh, two members of the Montreal Canadiens out the way, uh, Ben Sherratt and Arturi Lekkanen. They're listening on Lekkanen, you know, I don't know that they want to move him. They don't necessarily have to move him because he's a restricted free agent this coming off season. So he's not a true rental player for anyone that might be acquiring him, but you know, the Canadians, I don't think are, are they're listening to almost everything just to see what's possible. They're in kind of an exploratory phase in terms of where they're going to go next with their team. And there is interest out there in Arturi Lekin and a very responsible forward, as you know, covering them there for the Canadians the last few years. Um, you know, not sure that, 100% he'll be moved, but, but definitely there's some smoke gathering. And, and so we'll see if, if the Canadians can get the price that, that makes that make sense. You know, the Sherratt one's going to be interesting. Like I, I still think a team like Calgary has interest in him, um, would like to circle back there. They did have talks at the time that Tyler Toffoli trade went down, but the price has been too high. And so this is where some of the staring contest comes into play. Cause you know, I, I, I deem this a buyer's market. Mm-hmm. I think there's more, team selling assets than those that are really bidding on them. And, you know, the Canadians have wanted the equivalent of either a first round pick or a first round prospect, you know, one, you know, a highly ranked prospect at minimum for Sherratt, you know, they haven't got that yet, despite the amount of interest around them this season. And so now we see, you know, who, who wins the standoff here? Does, does the Canadian do the Canadians blink or do multiple teams end up getting in and, and get to that price? You know, I'm not sure where he ends up, but, you know, I've heard St. Louis on him. A lot of, a lot of teams out there have thought that the blues were, were a natural fit for Sherratt too. 
could be could, could be someone that swoops in though and pays the price because to this point, you know, a team like Calgary just hasn't liked uh, what Kent Hughes and, and Jeff Gordon are asking. Uh- I'll, I'll, I'll throw out Toronto here because there was a time where a lot of loose fans were worried about them paying the high price for Sherrod. And, you know, we, we did get radioed that one time. It seems as if uh, they're, they're a little quiet on Sherrod. Am I correct in that? Yeah. I, I, I don't think they're at the top of the list, but you know, it, this is where it gets fun, right? Because the information changes in, in terms of what the teams are dealing with when making these decisions. And, and, you know, I don't wish this, but the Leafs play Tuesday and Thursday. Maybe they suffered, you know, an injury in their lineup that changes things, and then all of a sudden they, they, their interest gets peaked, right? I would have told you two weeks ago, I'm pretty sure they're not going to bother trading for a goalie. Now I'm like, well, yeah. they're trading for a goalie because it's been two weeks of four-plus pucks going in the net a night. So, you know, this is where it gets a little bit more volatile. But, you know, at this point in time, I don't believe that they're, they're at the top of the list, but it could change. You're happy, Leafs fans. You happy? Anyway, uh, Thomas Hurdle in San Jose. Thomas Hurdle is an interesting case because they have been talking contract extension, but you know his no trade clause, Julian. There's only three teams he says that he can be traded to, mm-hmm. and so you know I essentially view that as a no movement clause because if you're Thomas Hurdle, and I'm not saying he's done this, but he could put say Arizona, um, Buffalo and Montreal on his, the, those are the three teams you can trade me to. And let's face it, those teams are trading for a rental player at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And so essentially you're blocking off the avenues the Sharks have to trade you. And so essentially if they don't reach an agreement, you know, he, ha- he has full control over the situation. And I think that's going to make that deal a little more tricky to this point in time. The Sharks have entirely been focused on the extension. Like they're when teams phone them, they're not, they're not going through the hypotheticals of what it would be. And so, they only have a few days if, if this contract extension doesn't come to be to really gauge the market, to work with Thomas Hurdle on where he might want to play. And so I think there's a world that it all doesn't get done. It's too soon to say if that's how it's going to play out now, but his situation is unique in that, in that the team can't just send him anywhere where there's interest. And so, you know, these next day or two are, are crucial in, in the contract extension talks. And then if that doesn't produce a new deal for him, and I think, you know, it's not just money for Hurdle. I think he's, wanting to know what's the direction of this organization. If he signs for five or six or seven or eight years at this point in time, is he going to have a chance to play on a winning team again? You know, which the Sharks were a winning team, of course, when he came into that organization for a number of years. Um, you know, so I think that this is, this is a nuanced situation on a number of different levels. And, you know, it, it, I think that it's possible he ends up being traded, but a lot has to fall into place. And, and in a buyer's market, you know, maybe the Sharks are left holding the bag here and, and just walk him to free agency and maybe trying to do an extension after the year, which is, you know, something that teams have done in the past too. Correct me if I'm wrong, but how many other guys have had like a like a clause that says you can only trade me to these three teams? I think Evander Kane had something similar. I remember the SDP discussing that. Yeah, Kane had one similar to that. I'm sure there's been a few others over the years, but it's it's pretty unusual because – as I meant for the reason I mentioned, I mean, it's essentially a full no move clause, right? I mean, if it's only three teams, that's not a ton for the, the team that's trying to trade you to work with. And there's like lots of things you can do to make sure a trade never happens. So um, it's, it's a pretty restrictive one. You know, obviously the, the sharks negotiate at the time because they're thinking three teams is better than none, but what it does is in a situation like the deadline, I think it allows you really to control it. You know, maybe in the summer, you have less control. If, if he still has two years left on his deal, he puts three places he doesn't think 
would trade for him. Well, maybe the Sharks call with those three teams and one of them wants to trade. But, you know, when you get down to the deadline, this is a very player-friendly clause. And look, he's earned that clause. I'm not saying, certainly not saying he shouldn't have it, um, but um, it does give him a high degree of control over what's going to happen in the next week. Okay. What about uh, JT Miller of the Vancouver Canucks? Not convinced he's going to be traded at this point. Uh, he's having such a good year. You know, the, the Canucks have gauged the marketplace on, on all their guys to, to see what they might get back. I still think they're going to sell a piece, even though they've, they've won some games here of late and, and, you know, hung around the playoff conversation. You know, I think that that's uh, important to them is just to try to start rebooting this thing. As I've said to you, I think before they've, tri- they've, Change management, they change the coaching staff, they've got to change out some players. But, you know, I think JT Miller probably stays a Canuck beyond this deadline. And, you know, maybe we're talking about him in the summer or, or at next year's trade deadline as, as a piece. Okay. Um, some pieces we've seen out there, uh, notably in, in my market, guys like, like Ben Sherrod and, and Arturi Lekkanen have been thought to think, hey, they've been playing so well, they might warrant being traded for a first-round pick and other pieces. But I'm, I'm genuinely curious in terms of teams who have first round picks available. Maybe this is a bit of a me asking you for a prediction here. But how many of those teams do you really see uh, as teams willing to dish out their first round pick to get talent? Well, the Leafs, I think, would do it if they had to. You know, Colorado doesn't have its first round pick in this draft, but they might trade one in a future draft. Um. I, I don't think it's – I'm trying to think about other teams. Like, there's only a handful probably in play. And it's not the teams want to trade the first-round pick. They just understand, look, to get to, to get a lot of these top bigger-name guys, like the first-round pick is thought to be sort of the entry point, right? Like if you're trading Clojure, you probably want a first. You know, the Chicago Blackhawks want a first-round pick for Marc-Andre Fleury. Or the Canadians want a first round pick or, or an equivalent first round prospect. I mean, that's maybe that's where the asterisk comes in here, Julian, is a lot of teams say first round pick or sort of a prospect that's recently been picked in the first round. Um, so that might be a way around it. But, you know, those those picks tend to be reasonably valuable. So I I think we'll only see like I'd put the over under if it was more than two, I'd be surprised that get moved between now and the deadline. Um, you know, I, I could be wrong, but I, I just get the sense that the the absolute teams that are kind of all in um, like the Leafs or the Panthers and then the avalanche, which but doesn't have the 2022 first, um, you know, those teams look at, look at potentially dealing that pick, but I think more often than not teams are holding on to it. And so that that's where this buyer's market dynamic might come into play. Uh, it's just that, you know, those, the sellers want those first round picks. And if there aren't that many there to be bought, they might have to accept some, some different forms of packages to make these deals come through. Finally, is there a name out there that we need to look out for that I didn't mention in uh, that I haven't mentioned in any of our trading piles or maybe someone I mentioned in a previous one, but at least one I didn't mention today? Tough question. That is a tough question. I realize in hindsight. I don't think we've talked much about Nick Paul. Yes. You know, I, think, I think Nick Paul is is a player. The odds are going up that he's going to be moved. You know, they, they've talked him and his camp with the senators doesn't seem like it's it's heading in a positive direction as we're recording this right now that can always change in a phone call but you know it doesn't seem to be heading towards an agreement you know he's someone I, I do know teams have had interest in and I could see Ottawa moving on from you know the Senators are an interesting team like Pierre Dorian came out and said last week like we're not getting any calls but they have six unrestricted free agents you know Nick Paul being one of them 
but even guys like Chris Tierney, um, you know, Zach Sanford, you know, played on the blues when they won a Stanley cup. I mean, players, the kind of guys that you typically see moved at the deadline players, not with huge contracts that, that can fill a certain role on a team. And, you know, it's Anton Forsberg, their goaltender. You know, I, I don't know if the senators are willing to move him, but I, I, he makes sense for teams looking for a goalie. Um, so the fact that they've been quiet, I think is indicative of the marketplace, but you know, I did hear over the, over the weekend since Pierre Dorian made those remarks, not from Pierre, but in general that, um, you know, that, that trade talk has started to pick up. And, and so I think the action is, is starting to swirl a little bit and, you know, maybe, maybe one of those names, I know it's not a massive name necessarily, but you know, Nick Paul's had a nice season and, and you know, I think he's going to be in some degree of demand here unless uh, something changes between him and the senators on his contract. There is hope for March 21st for trade action to happen. Uh, Why James Duffy did tell me is like, everyone gets freaked out when nothing happens. He's like, that's better for me. I get freaked out when all the trades start happening early because you're worried there's nothing left. But I mean, look, we know there's going to be trades. It's just the question is how many and how big and all that. But the fact that really hasn't been much trade action, you had the Leafs Coyotes deal, you had the Toffoli deal to Calgary. Other than that, there's been a few smaller trades that didn't really have NHL implications uh, the last month. So, you know, this is a, this volcano is is gaining some pressure and there's going to have to be some kind of explosion soon. Oof. Some kind of oof volcano. Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind, Siege. Uh, speaking of Siege, uh, Ask CJ. It's time for Ask CJ to uh, round up our Monday show. We take questions from you listening or watching to our podcast uh, off of Twitter and off of Discord, which, by the way, our Discord at the SDPN Discord, it's lit. A lot of cool stuff happening over there. Go to sdpn.ca and you will find the link to join the Discord there. Let's start off with a question from Cujo31fan on Twitter. Actually, you sort of kind of answered it uh, earlier on in our podcast. Do you ever talk to refs as a reporter? Not really. Um, You know, a few guys I kind of gotten to know over the years and so maybe like a bit of contact, but it's not a, it's not a, daily part of my job by any stretch or anything like that so um you know again though there are times the league makes referees available like just to be clear for certain um you know for certain sorts of incidents that happen or controversial calls or non-calls things like that but no i it's not there there's a there's a bit of a natural line there and and i understand why it's there and but you know the refs the refs tend to stay in the same hotels as reporters who travel around the league. So certainly our paths cross and it's always friendly. Like I've never had a bad dealing with a referee or anything like that, but there's just, there's a little bit of a, a natural picket fence between us and them. Okay. This one from uh, Nabil Karim TV. Hey, it's just nice to get, uh, get uh, questions from uh, illustrious people in media. Shout out Nabil Karim uh, was working on hockey night in Canada online. One of the highlights of your career. <laughs> yes, Nabil, it was because I got to work with you, bud. Um, I actually I've looked online for this. I wish there was I wish this existed still. Um, so the backstory there is way back when I worked at the Canadian Press, mm-hmm. which is the job I left in 2012. Um, I started doing my first TV work somewhere around 2010, 2011, 2012. But, you know, I don't know the exact time frame. And one of my first things I got to do is. Um, CBC had launched an online show and it was basically a, a sort of sort of styled in the way that that's hockey styled, you know, big stories around the league, um, you know, breaking down certain teams, talking what's going on that way. And 
Um, you know, Nabil and I were both young, Nabil, a young host. I was a young reporter. We would, we would do that show, I, I think a couple times a week. Uh, and that's where I first met Nabil. And obviously I somehow didn't hurt his career too much, but I'd love to find, <laughs> I don't, even if we could just get a still of like young CJ and young Nabil and like what was admittedly not the nicest, fanciest studio on earth, uh, cutting our teeth together that that would be great but i've looked around i can't find it i don't know if nabil has it anywhere i'll have to reach out to him but you know it's crazy that the things he's gone on and done you know first working at tsn then espn uh just climbing the ranks now i see him courtside at nba games um you know and i guess i haven't done so badly either yeah i think you both have done pretty well and yes i would love to see that photo of you two cutting your teeth as a young uh established media man uh, this next one from Mr. Bruin on Twitter. What's up with the Bruins at the deadline? Tough to say. They're, they seem to be in a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I think that they're more likely to get a defenseman than a forward, although probably in a perfect world, they, they'd like one of each. Uh, but like a lot of teams, the, the cap will come into play and whether they can make all that work. But the Bruins have, you know, they've, they've kind of lurking in the weeds a little bit because – you know, everyone's given the, the Florida Panthers love and for good reason in the Atlantic division, you know, Tampa naturally, you know, maybe not getting tons of focus, but they've, they've had a darn good season after winning the last two Stanley cups. No one's sleeping on them. The Maple Leafs uh, have hit the skids a little bit lately, but they, they've been at the top of the division. I think Boston gets overlooked, but look, this is the last year Patrice Bergeron's under contract. He's having an amazing year. Like there's, there's no question he can continue to play and be a contributor, but you know, he's got to decide if he wants to play beyond the season. And so I do think that there's some, there's a feeling of the last dance maybe for some of that group, the guys that have been there a long time. And, and so, you know, I think that they will make at least, you know, the Bruins always usually swing for a double at, <laughs> at the deadline, you know, maybe not always trying to hit a homer, but I, you know, I think that they'll be involved to, and get a defenseman and possibly forward as well. So, um, you know, they were the team that was linked to Chikrin, for example. So I'm sure they're, they're curious to see, you know, how, how that injury situation plays out. But, you know, Boston's always making moves. And, you know, I would think this will be no different because as difficult as that Atlantic division is, only one team can come out of it. And if you do, you got a chance to, to play for a cup. And I think Boston still views themselves as in that, that group, even though they've been a little behind the, the top teams in terms of points this season. This one from uh, Dr. Sun. Uh, Sun is spelled S-O-N-N-E, so it might be sunny, it might be sunny. Apologies if I don't get that right, but that's off of Discord. Aloha. We actually start off with Aloha. They might be from Hawaii. Aloha, could you explain why there is a penalty against the cap in future seasons when teams buy out a player? Yeah. Let me that is a tough one. Well, there's a. it's because you are getting out of the – you're getting out of – a commitment, right? And so if a player was going to have 3 million owed to him next season and you're able to buy that out, you are saving money on the cap, even with the, the penalty. And so I think it's to, it, it's, it's so you can't just completely eliminate what we might call a mistake, or you can't just, it's also to make you think twice about buying out your player, right? Because players obviously have guaranteed contracts, uh, at least guaranteed to 66% because 66% is the amount that it can be bought out for, um, for those over 26, at least. And so, you know, it's, it's just to, it's, it's to, to not make it so that you automatically buy out a player that has a bad year. So you have to think twice about it and it's to recognize you're still getting a benefit, but there's got to, it's not a full benefit. And so 
that would be my best guess. Of course, I haven't asked anyone that, but that, that's my sense of how that, why that rules in place and how it works. And uh, last one from this is Colin. Going back to the coffee discussion, CJ, are you a French press drip pour or pour over coffee person, dark roast, blonde roast, espresso, or are you a Timmy's, McDonald's, whatever is available person? I'm kind of all of the above. I mean, Jeez. in the sense that if you give me coffee, as long as it's black, like I don't want sugar or anything in it, but like as long as like I will take coffee in all forms. I tend to like wine in all forms, more or less. I mean, there's some limits to that, but like in general, I like beer in most forms. So I'm, I'm not, I will say I'm not that picky about the things that I like, but generally I like to be, have like whole beans, um, grind them and then run them through a nice coffee maker. I don't, I don't do French press myself, but again, I, if you, if I came to your house, Julian, and you made me a French press coffee, I would be thrilled that you did that. So, okay. um, you know, but I, I, and I, I have to honest, be honest. I don't usually go to Timmy's as you might've seen during this. I've been drinking from the box this morning. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> it takes a swig. <laughs> it, was, it was a late night getting back from Hamilton last night. Um, and so had a laser morning, just got a quick coffee and, and before taping the pod here this morning, but, um, yeah, I'm not that I'm not that picky, but I, I I generally avoid Tim Hortons unless I have no options. I gotta say, a big thing happened this year in my hometown of Coburg, Ontario. Yes. We got a Starbucks. Never ever in my life thought that would happen. <laughs> Never ever. So like when I'm in a somewhere like Coburg or a small town in Canada, you know, obviously I will drink a Tim Hortons, but I don't seek it out as my coffee of choice. Interesting. Interest. I'm more of I've I've transitioned over from Tim Hortons to make cafe stuff myself. So I I understand the feeling. But also if I could just brew something from home, like you know, I'll just do that, I guess. But again, I only have coffee so often. I, I only have coffee so often. I haven't done much of this lately because of lockdowns and things being open, but like I really like being in a nice cafe with like a really nice coffee. Like I love that feeling, like being especially when obviously if I'm in no hurry to do something or if I'm with a great friend, like that. That to me is like a little slice of heaven. Uh, I really, I really appreciate my coffee in the morning in particular. Oh, that sounds like such a wholesome activity. The way you describe it just makes it seem so wholesome, CJ. I know, but I haven't been doing it. Like it actually just like triggered something in my mind. It's like, I want to get back to doing that now that things are open here, but you know, everything was closed for so long and it's winter. Anyway, I just have, I haven't had, I haven't like met a buddy and, and had a coffee and just caught up too long and too long. Hey, spring is, is very close. Like, like around the same time as the deadline. It's the same day, if I recall correctly. I'm not a weather presenter anymore. I don't remember. But still, spring is coming. Yeah, the March snow is going to go away. In Ontario, there were springs yeah, here, trade deadlines here, and they removed the mask mandates in Ontario. So things are things are moving towards more normal. Do you still have your vaccine passport mandate? Because in Quebec, it's gone. No, that lifted March 1st. So. Okay. You know, I got vaccinated and I have a vaccine passport, but I no longer need to show it to to enter an establishment. Yeah. As of uh, Saturday in Quebec, that was the case, too, where I, I like walked into the Bell Center and they didn't check it. And it was just like like a weird I thought I had missed a step. But, uh, yeah, things are starting to change yet again. And with that, that brings an end to Ask CJ. And that brings an end to the Monday edition of the Chris Johnston show. Siege, it's always a pleasure to do these shows with you, buddy. We have another one coming on Thursday. We've got one coming on Sunday. And Three then podcast week, buddy. First time right. ever. 
are you one of those people that think that Sunday's the end of the week and not the beginning? Because I consider I consider this like still a two podcast week, and the next week would be three. No, I go Monday through Sunday. I don't know if that's technically correct, but that's how my brain works. Okay, because I'm I'm Sunday through Saturday essentially, but it's it's interesting to see how we're wired. So depending on how your brain is wired, you may view this as a three podcast week. Some I'm, may view this. I'm as calling two. it a three podcast week, man. <laughs> that's okay. That's I. However you want to characterize it, we will be doing a podcast next Sunday uh, as like a little like trade deadline primer ahead of the big day. No show on the Monday. It'll be on the Tuesday serving as a postmortem after the trade deadline. So no show next Monday. It'll be on Tuesday. But we will we will be back on Thursday with a brand new episode of the Chris Johnston show. We'll have stick taps then too and other fun stuff. Hey, maybe a trade will happen or some other signing or some other big move will take place in between that time. Also check out some of the other shows of the SDPN like Agent Provocateur, uh, Noxian Cax, and that other one with the three dudes. They're, they seem pretty cool, I, I think. The, the three dudes. What's the name? I don't know what the name of it is. Uh, the Jesse Blake podcast? Yo, the Jesse Blake show. That's that's exactly what it's called. The Jesse Blake show. It's it's the show where they talk about his failings as a GM on Twitch. Yeah, I think that's yeah, what it is. I think so. Uh, for that, and with that, uh, for CJ, I'm Julian. Saying so long and peace. We'll talk to you on Thursday. You say potato, I say potato. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie.